Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Check this out. One, two, three, four! Sesame Street recently had a first. <laughs> I can't wait to play my guitar for everybody today. I've been practicing and practicing with my harmony. The show added its first guitar-shredding Asian-American Muppet to its cast in the wake of recent attacks against Asian-Americans. What's wrong? Um, when I was coming back here, a kid yelled out at me to go back home. It really, really, it really hurt my feelings. Of course it did. And together with her friends, Ji Young tackled race in the most Sesame Street way possible. But not everyone loved the new addition. When conservatives like CPAC chairman Matt Schlapp found out, they won't stop with uh, their push for woke politics. They responded in one of the most conservative ways possible. Some conservatives are calling on the federal government to stop funding PBS over woke content on the program for kids, including Sesame Street. But it turns out Sesame Street's been doing this kind of thing since before Fox News or CPAC even existed. To explain, we reached out to David Camp. I am the author of the book Sunny Day is the children's television revolution that changed America. Sunny day, sleeping up, away. I was part of Generation Zero of Sesame Street viewers. I was a little toddler on November 10th, 1969, when the very first episode of Sesame Street went on the air. The founders of Sesame Street, Joan Gans Cooney and Lloyd Morissette, went into TV for a really weird reason, not for the fame and money, but to do good. You know, they wanted to create a TV show that would specifically alleviate the effects of poverty and kind of the educational imbalance between more affluent, mostly white kids in the suburbs and inner city black kids. So from the get-go, Sesame Street its primary audience at the time was 
resource-deprived Black kids living in big cities, 1969-1970. Historically, Sesame Street has been designed as a show where people who are not, you know, part of the, the white hegemony can feel seen. The original target audience was Black kids. If you were a Black kid watching at home, and it was very rare to see Black characters on television, it was really validating to feel seen when you had human characters like Loretta Long as Susan, and those characters were very validating to Black viewers at home. I'd like to think that I, I am a positive image for a Black female. They've done research, and they've done interviews, and people said, whether they were parents or kids, that made a difference to me. When did Sesame Street first attempt something like this? You know, introduce a Muppet to represent a specific group of people and not like a cookie monster? The very first season of Sesame Street, which was the 1969-70 season, Matt Robinson, who played Gordon on the show... It's just good old storekeeping Gordon. He was also a writer and producer on the show, raised the point that there should be a Muppet who is palpably Black in mannerism and affect and speech patterns. He made the point that when a kid's around Sesame Street watching age, which at the time meant age four or five, that's precisely when a kid recognizes that he or she is Black. And what does that mean? What does that mean about my place in the world? And so Matt Robinson said, we should have a Muppet character who is recognizably Black to kid viewers at home. Jim Henson, who was in charge of the Muppets, made the point at first that, well, you know, the Muppets are not of color, you know, except the color that they are in terms of the materials they're made out of, like Kermit being green, Grover being blue. When I think it might be nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that. But Matt Robinson made a good point. He said, well, yeah, but all of you Muppet performers are white people and mostly white guys. So the default cultural references for the Muppet characters are basically white men. And so Jim Henson said, hey, you have a point. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle pig feet, but my name is not Peter Piper. It's Roosevelt Franklin, and I live on Sesame Street. This is a rarity, Roosevelt Franklin, and he was a character who was developed not by Jim Henson and Frank Oz and Jerry Nelson and those guys, but by Matt Robinson. Unless I heard somebody wrong, somebody called me by both my names, my first name first and then my second name second. Roosevelt Franklin spoke in a kind of jivey street pattern that was very early 70s. He did not look African-American in appearance. He was a little purple guy with a shock of black hair, but his speech affect was very black. Now, where is that Roosevelt Franklin? Somebody call me by my first and last name. Yes, I called you, and it's about time you got here, too. Now, will you please come on? And his mother was played by Loretta Long, the other black human performer on Sesame Street, and her speech affect was black. Well, we'll see if you know them for sure. I'm not so sure you even know you know. I know, I know, I know, I know. Roosevelt Franklin, how old are you? I used to be one, now I'm gone on two. So they really went there in terms of creating these Muppet characters who, for black kids, would have this valuable takeaway that for the first time in my life, I see a character on TV 
who looks like me or speaks like me or speaks like a member of my family or my neighbors. What you gonna do when you reach five? Gonna get some honey from the old beehive. All right, Roosevelt. Yes, I like that. The very first Sesame Street album was not Ernie and Bert, it was Roosevelt Franklin. It's actually a great soul record. Questlove, who I interviewed and wrote the forwards of my book, Sunny Days, said, when I was a little kid watching Sesame Street in Philly and I saw Roosevelt Franklin, it was like the sun coming out. It was so huge and validating. My name is Roosevelt Franklin. Yeah, oh, he's Roosevelt Franklin. That's all right. You see, it's Roosevelt Franklin. He's out of sight. And Roosevelt Franklin knows his nose. Was Roosevelt also controversial when he was introduced back in the 70s? Roosevelt Franklin was controversial out of the box, and in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect. It wasn't because there was maybe a a reactionary element watching and saying, we don't like this black Muppet, this black character. It was more the bourgeois black people who worked at the Children's Television Workshop, which produced Sesame Street. Children's Television Workshop had some black executives and staff members who objected to Roosevelt and felt blindsided by Matt Robinson's creation of Roosevelt Franklin because they thought that he was too street, that he didn't represent an aspirational ideal of what Black American experience is. Interesting. And so Joan Gans Cooney, a white woman, had to listen to both sides of this argument, and she ended up siding with the bourgeois contingent who said Roosevelt does not send the right message. So Roosevelt was on, for he had a good run. He was on for a good five years of the show, but he was phased out because of those objections. So they get rid of Roosevelt Franklin eventually. Do they introduce any other characters with like really distinctive race? No, there's a really long dry spell where they really avoid the very proposition of it. It really wasn't until 2010 that they even started to go there. Don't need a trip to the beauty shop Cause I love what I got on top It's curly and it's brown And it's right up there They had a a song sung by what they call an anything Muppet, which is just a generic Muppet, but who is a black girl with curly hair and brown skin. She sang a song called I Love My Hair. I love my hair And it's an anthem about loving your curly, kinky hair if you're black. And this song really caught on. And that was already 11 years ago. But, you know, that was the beginning of something. But it really wasn't until the murder of George Floyd and this reckoning we went through in 2020, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations, that the Sesame Workshop doubled down and really got serious about reintroducing characters that explicitly were black or other races. And so in 2020, we learned uh, that there were, we were introduced to uh, new Muppet characters, child Muppets named uh, Gabrielle and her cousin Tamir, who are explicitly African-American Muppet characters. How do you know what to do when you hear someone say, 
You're not good enough. Go away. When someone is not let in because of the color of their skin. In the aftermath of all the really ugly anti-AAPI violence we've uh, experienced in the last year and a half during the pandemic, the current Sesame Workshop recognized that there's a need to sort of, again, reinforce this idea that people are seen, people are understood, and it's win-win. So it's not just Asian American kids watching at home and saying, we felt seen. It's also non-Asian American Americans learning about a culture and not otherizing it, but welcoming it. Right. And not everyone loves it. I mean, generally, the buy-in has been pretty good. Oh. You know, I haven't seen too much backlash. So there is an inherent buy-in when Sesame Street tries something that there wouldn't be if it was, you know, any other uh, cultural institution. But there's always going to be people, you know, and, and, you know, for example, like on Twitter, uh, the head of CPAC, who's a man named Matt Schlapp, you know, made a whole to-do about, you know, defund Sesame Street just because of the introduction of Ji Young, the Asian-American Muppet character. Again, why introduce race? Why violate the sanctity of and innocence of the, the bubble of childhood? And of course, there are extremely good reasons to introduce race. And it's nothing new. In fact, it's very old. Roosevelt Franklin dates almost all the way back to the show's earliest days. Is it fair to say the show's always been controversial? Well, the show has never actively courted controversy, but it has always been willing to not talk around race, but to go there. And in the earliest days, you know, Sesame Street caught flack from the left and the right. You know, for example, like, you know, it was a public television show and, you know, not every state wanted to air Sesame Street. Uh, At the very beginning, the state of Mississippi, their their, uh, public television board said, there are too many black people on this show that will alienate our viewers We don't want to air it. And this made the national news and effectively Mississippi public television was shamed into putting Sesame Street on the air pretty much from the get go. But that was an example of maybe kind of reactionary white wing pushback. Yet at the same time, there was left wing pushback saying that Sesame Street wasn't black enough or even though it sort of had this urban setting where it was by design meant to look kind of dilapidated, you know, that it was too sanitized, that it presented too much of a Pollyanna-ish view of how uh, different races mixed in this urban setting. And you see to this day that politicians, particularly on the right, like to make hay of Sesame Street and use it as a wedge issue. I'm going to stop the subsidy to PBS. I'm going to stop other things. I like PBS. I love Big Bird. But I'm not going to I'm not going to keep on spending money on things to borrow money. There's this misperception that Sesame Street, to use Ted Cruz's term, is government propaganda. But when Big Bird told children to get vaccinated against a deadly disease, I said, enough. (laughs) And I created my own Sesame Street called Cruz Street. It's a gated community. And it's, you know, people use Big Bird as a whipping boy, whipping bird, excuse me, because he is the most uh, reliable totem, most identifiable proxy for what Sesame Street is. I'm a bluebird that's been dreaming of a rainbow I can follow to that old familiar place. I long to see. In a minute, how are you going to be mad at Big Bird? 
Friendly faces, a smile to greet me, or just a simple hello, how are you? Oh, without them, I'm so blue. There's only one thing that will do to make this heartache end. Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile, the only cell phone that tastes good. When the deal is too good to be true, there's probably a catch, right? That incredibly cheap flight to Europe? You probably can't bring a bag or pick your seat or use the restroom. So when I tell you that Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably wondering, what's the catch? Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no catch. According to Mint Mobile, it's only 15 bucks a month and their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explain. That is mintmobile.com slash explain. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explain. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Support for Today Explained comes from Ramp. This ad goes out to all the finance professionals looking for love. I'm just kidding. Looking for a better way to simplify business finance across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting. And to all the accountants tired of the same old finance software, Ramp may be the answer you've been looking for. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. So what does that mean? Well, according to Ramp, they give finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. Issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions. Automate expense reporting so you don't waste time. Ramp says its accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so that you don't have to. That could put an end to chasing down receipts and to your employees spending hours submitting expense reports. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash explained, ramp.com slash explained, ramp.com slash explained. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello there. Today's letter is... Ta-da! The letter T. For Today Explained. We're back and we're picking up with David Camp. David, tell me, how was Sesame Street funded when it first launched? Sesame Street is an anomaly in the history of television. It really was the only time the federal government went into the TV production business, meaning not just passively funding, but it was an active 50-50 partner in producing Sesame Street in its early seasons. Half the funding came from government agencies. The other half came from philanthropic organizations like the Ford Foundation and the Carnegie Corporation. And by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. How did that happen? How did the federal government decide to jump in and fund this, this children's educational entertainment show? 
Joan Gans Cooney and Lloyd Morissette, when they founded this show, had great timing. I was lucky that my career was formed in an era eager to take on the unfinished business of America, especially the education of disadvantaged children. They had the idea for the show in 66. And though it didn't make it to air till 69, 66 was right in the middle of Lyndon Johnson's administration and his war on poverty, his great society. I propose that we begin a program in education to ensure every American child the fullest development of his mind and skills. Huge amounts of federal money to improve public education to alleviate the effects of child poverty. So they tapped into a good moment when they could get all manner of funding and goodwill to underwrite Sesame Street and make it a reality. And and how long does that glory last? In the early 70s, Richard Nixon becomes president. And he's actually also pretty supportive of Sesame Street. But he says, no, I'm a Republican. We're not going to keep funding this show. And so they recognized at Children's Television Workshop, the production entity behind the show, that we're going to have to pivot to other forms of funding. And the show by then had become such a cultural juggernaut that they could make a lot of money from things like record albums and soft toys, you know, of Ernie and Bert and Grover and Cookie Monster. Who's giving everybody the giggles? It's Tickle Me Elmo. When your child tickles him, he talks, laughs, and his whole body shakes. So there was this huge revenue stream that kind of kept them going for a long time without the government. How long does that last? I mean, honestly, that lasts well into the 80s and 90s because you've got ancillary rights coming from not just record album sales and toys, but suddenly, whoa, VCRs. So you got VHS tapes and later on DVDs. So there's this stream of funding that just keeps, keeps, keeps Sesame Street going until it doesn't. You know, things like DVD and VHS tape sales dry up because of streaming. You also have the atomization of the child viewing audience because, you know, going along with streaming is this idea that suddenly kids have a lot more choices than Sesame Street. So suddenly Sesame Street, you know, is fighting for audience share and it's fighting for revenue And it needs a suitor to come in and save it financially. And that suitor comes in the shape of... HBO, and now we'd call it HBO Max. In 2015, they made a deal with HBO basically to sustain Sesame Street. And by the way, at a much smaller scale, uh, they only do around 35 new episodes a year, which are half an hour long. In the old days, the old public government-funded days, they did 130 hour-long new episodes per season. But nevertheless, HBO says, hey, we'll come in, we'll underwrite this show. H-B-O! Oh, he knows it! Now, the optics of this are problematic, because if you think about Sesame Street's origins, it was originally conceived to be a show for the least fortunate and advantaged kids in America. Suddenly, a premium cable, and now we'd call it a premium streaming service, has the rights to Sesame Street. And first-run episodes are on HBO exclusively for nine months before they kick over to PBS, where they're viewable for free. Hmm. Does that change how accessible it is to all children across the country, across the world? In, in 2015, when the HBO deal was first announced, it felt like, you know, Sesame Street was getting more restrictive 
about who could watch its original programming, its first run shows. But over time, in the six years since, I think that there's been a relaxation of that for two reasons. One, that Warner Media's funding as HBO's parent has allowed them to pursue a new slate of programming, an expansion of programming, uh, you know, that that allows them to do other shows under the Sesame Street banner beyond the flagship. The other thing is, is that Sesame Street is not just going out through HBO. It's going out through PBS and it's still getting public-private partnerships where, you know, they're getting it to people all over the world by whatever means necessary. So like in, in refugee camps, they're doing it through apps and through WhatsApp, you know, any way possible. What does Sesame Street look like around the world? You know, we have a Syrian refugee crisis, and, and so they created a, a new version of Sesame Street for Syrian refugee kids called Alan Sim Sim. So if you are a Syrian refugee kid living in a camp, you receive this version of Sesame Street that actually has uh, Muppet characters who are experiencing what you're experiencing. There's a Venezuelan version because they also have a refugee crisis. You know, there's a South African version that uh, caught a lot of right-wing flack uh, some years back because they introduced an HIV-positive Muppet because they had an, an AIDS and HIV crisis in South Africa. Yeah, we are having a street party here on Takalani Sesame in support of everyone who is HIV-positive like me. You know, they're kids being born with HIV, and so they replicate this model all across the world for a variety of circumstances. So just to be clear here, is there any government money currently going towards funding Sesame Street? Only a tiny fraction of money that underwrites Sesame Street comes from government agencies. It is overwhelmingly Warner Media's money and and uh, that of private benefactors. Hmm. But that hasn't stopped people from getting very mad when Big Bird goes and gets his vaccine. All right, so today we cancel Sesame Street. Big Bird has a Twitter account now, by the way. He tweeted that he'd uh, just gotten the vaccine despite having natural immunity due to the fact that puppets don't have respiratory systems. Exactly. There's this kind of a hangover idea that Sesame Street is still a government-funded show. But it's an easy way, because it airs on public television, for someone like Ted Cruz to say, when Big Bird gets vaccinated, government propaganda for your five-year-old. Is it a public health thing? Yes. Are they aligning with people like Dr. Fauci? Has Dr. Fauci appeared on Sesame Street? Yes. But Sesame Street is not government propaganda. But it's always going to be tempting to cynical politicians to make hay of this. Maybe, you know, maybe it works to get lots of retweets. But I wonder, you know, apart from being a, a useful, you know, political whipping post, do kids still watch the show the way you did growing up, the way Questlove did growing up, the way I did growing up? Do, do kids still have the same connection to Sesame Street when there are so many things to choose from on so many devices and, and so many platforms? Sesame Street will never command the huge viewing audiences it once did. That's just not going to happen again. But that's not going to happen for any TV show except a live sports broadcast. And so... The question is, is Sesame Street still relevant? When I'm counting with you, 
Sesame Street will always have a cultural cool and it has this reservoir of goodwill. Who would turn down an invitation to Sesame Street? A lot of people feel like it's their aspirational apex, you know, like, yeah, I won the Oscar, I won the Grammy, um, I won the Tony, but but no, no, it was when Sesame Street called and asked me to be on the show. And it's funny because the people, there's, there's people who are obvious, like Billie Eilish and Lin-Manuel Miranda, it kind of makes sense. But then you have Robert De Niro and Martina Navratilova coming on the show, you're like, what? But for them, it's a big deal too, because their kids are watching and they say like, this is as huge as it gets. My kid's favorite show wants me on it. Oh, wonderful. One, two, tip tops of your shoe. One, two, apples. This one's for you. David Camps, the author of Sunny Days, the children's television revolution that changed America, Halima Shah is the producer of this episode. I'm Sean Ramos for him. It's Today Explained. Number two. Ah, ah, ah.